Disappointed with my singing? Or yeah, what? sorry. Uh, yeah, I mean, I am pretty disappointed with it too. I'm not gonna lie. Oh, come on! I have a beautiful little voice. I, I mean, just thought there was gonna you know, be like a big my wolf. my intros and my my cool outro. <laughs> I mean, I like I that like part. <laughs> you have you have you make good mouth noises, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that almost sounded like a something like a deliverance thing. <laughs> like you squeal like a piggy. You make good pig noises. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, well, now pig. that everyone has clicked off. <laughs> yeah, now that everyone's laughing, everyone's going like, oh, wait, this is this like, podcast? Oh, Fuck. That's, that's, uh, I don't know what this is, but it makes me feel uncomfortable things. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Great. Now that yeah, I've watched great. this movie. Uh, Do you think it was better than In the Name of the King? Was this a better use of time? Oh, yeah. I mean... It was close. I mean, they're they're both just such great films, but this one No, no, dude. This was like this was like an acid bath after that movie. Like this was the cleansing an acid bath. That, like, that almost sounds like it wouldn't be fun. It, it it I mean, it was fun because it was pig, but I just I just needed something to get the taste something of good. in the name of the king out of my mouth. It was like eating But in stale. the name of the king is so much longer, Jeff. I know. It's like almost like length doesn't indicate quality. It's almost like keeping something, a story tight and refined and telling it quickly and getting in and out and not wasting people's time mm. is a virtue. Getting in and out. I like Tell that, that to talk. Homer. Oh, Homer? Homer yeah, Simpson? No. The what Greek Homer. About? Oh. <laughs> oh, Odyssey joke. I get it now. Wow, that took that took me a while. Oh, I wasn't even boy. sure what you were referring to. <laughs> Uwe Bowl of Greek times. Sexy, sexy voice. The Uwe Bowl of Greek times. <laughs> I'm not sure he would appreciate that. <laughs> Come forward, you're like, here's your spiritual equal, Homer. Exactly. Meet Uwe Bowl. I don't think Homer went like... around. I mean, I don't think Homer was a real person, obviously, but even if he was, I don't think he went around like threatening the other people. You don't think Homer was a real person? Huh? Now you're going to tell me you don't, I don't think Jesus was he a real was. person. I don't, I don't believe... I believe. Who that, wrote it? I believe it's a collection of authors that like mm. all kind of created the Homeric uh, hymns and everything. I, don't, I believe Homer is like a facsimile of a character of an So author. that's kind of like the thing that people say about Shakespeare sometimes. A little bit. But like Shakespeare, I think there's a lot more proof that he actually existed. There is. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, what little proof we have of things that exist in ancient Greece, but I see, believe... I don't think Stephen King exists. Oh, I yeah? think that's a that's a facsimile <laughs> of other writers as well. He just writes too many. It doesn't make sense. He is it's quite like prolific. Maybe it's Uwe Boll's uh, pen name. You think Uwe <laughs> Boll is a secret genius who wrote like the Dark Tower series? That'd be very interesting. <laughs> like the whole like, who who is this man that we see though? I guess it would be Stephen King. 
like Stephen King is a person. He just doesn't write these books. He's just like the face of this organization. <laughs> Maybe he writes like one out what of every What a face 10. to choose. I know. Well, he looks like somebody who'd write that kind of stuff. So Yeah, he also kind of looks that makes like he sense. eats flies. He eats flies. He uh, eats dogs. He eats toads. We start this podcast off with some baseless slander uh, against slander the writer somebody, that we like. We slander somebody <laughs> every episode now. It's becoming a thing. I don't like it. Yeah. Well, I also want to do some slander on A24. Oh, that's right. Because I remember yeah, Alex, Alex sent us this and it boiled my blood. Yeah, me they, too. Because we we all want to see the Green Knight. It looks really cool. Um, the critical reception is fantastic, and it's just it looks great. But A twenty four offered this thing where you're like, you can stream it from home because it's a pandemic, but you can only do it at this certain time at this certain day for twenty dollars. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, you can floss with my pubes. <laughs> <laughs> like fuck, fuck you. That's my counter offer. Twenty dollars on a certain time, and it's like. I guess it's not the most most awful thing ever, but it's just annoying because it's like you could have gotten so much goodwill yeah. by just being like, okay, it's a pandemic. People can't go to the theaters or are uncomfortable. Here's this cool movie. Why don't you watch it for free? We'll stream it at this one time, this one day. People can come in and be like, we'd be like, A24, you guys are ace. That is a super cool thing you're doing. But right? to charge twenty dollars to stream a movie and I can't even choose when I watch it, it's like that is ridiculous. I almost yeah. don't even want to review your movie now because that's just so lame. It's just so lame. Yeah, it's it, uh, it was pretty pretty unfortunate of a choice by the uh, production. Not production it doesn't no, make by sense the, by the studio to kind of make that move. It's greed, greed over I don't know. Uh, Compassion. I don't How know. How much what is you'd a movie it. ticket nowadays? Is it like twelve bucks, thirteen? It's like twelve, bucks? ten yeah. to twelve bucks, something okay, like that. That's what I thought. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't been to a movie theater. Yeah, since was, we yeah, went it's, like, it's like two, two years, years ago. We got two years worth of inflation to tack on the movie tickets now. So yeah. I have no fucking clue how much they are. I don't even think I went to the movie theater when I was in Berkeley. I was too busy doing other stuff. So it's, <laughs> I think it's been a couple of years. I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think was the last movie I saw in theaters. Before everything for me, it down. was whatever I saw with Jeff last. Yeah, I think we maybe saw Overlord. Overlord. Yeah, I was thinking yeah. the same thing. I was like, maybe Overlord was the last thing we saw, which was fun. That was a fun one to see in the theaters. Yeah. I don't remember it very. I have well, no but memory. I remember of having fun. I remember it had like a lot of weird like Nazi zombie. Yeah, it took, stuff. I remember it taking like a hard like B movie turn. Like it was like started as kind of like a war action war movie, and I was like, "All right, I'm cool, I'm into this." And then it takes this like weird B movie zombie turn, and I was like, "Okay, I guess." Yeah, <laughs> I like Jesse that. loved it. <laughs> that's my that's my jam. I love it when things turn into wonderful schlock. So it's, it's a difference between good schlock and bad schlock. It's a very very hard to define. Um, but what's not um, either is pig. Yeah, pig. We watched Pig. Yeah, Pig. Um, Jeff, what did you think of Pig? Oh, man. Should we set Pig up? Maybe we should just set it set up. Set it up quick. first. Yeah, set it up first. Um, so Pig is its a pretty simple story. Nicolas Cage lives in the woods with a pig, and he hunts truffles and sells them. And uh, his pig gets captured one night. Some Some people break into his house, beat him up, and take his pig. 
And the rest of the movie is him wandering around trying to find his pig. And it is a very, very good movie. I recommend people see it. And we're just going to go into spoilers. But um, did you guys like the movie? Loved it. Loved it. Yeah, I really liked it. All right. Sea Pig. <laughs> it's worth watching. Um, maybe not if you're expecting a John Wick-style revenge thriller, oh. which some people inexplicably thought this was going to be. Which I guess I guess I could see how someone would think that. The cover art could decept- deceive you into that. Like, It's like... It's like the side profile, and it's like one eye, and he's all grizzled, and his eye looks all crazy, and yeah. following Mandy, you know, we could easily... And some other stuff. Yeah, see, that's the thing, is it's it's Nicolas Cage, so people expect it to be schlock. Yeah, or people, I think, which, are just expecting a certain level of, like, like Nicolas Cage craziness. Yeah. yeah, which you don't get. You get a real performance. It's a real movie. There's no... There's almost no violence. Like, I was telling Alex this earlier... A lot of a lot of morons are gonna watch this movie and expect a certain thing, and they're gonna be bored. Yeah, because it's slow. It's a it's a movie. It's a yeah. It's about loss. It's very slow paced. Um, mm-hmm. You don't have Nicolas Cage shooting people. He just wanders around asking about his pig. <laughs> he has like twenty di- lines dialogue. Most of them are. I'm looking for a pig. Where's my pig? <laughs> Who has uh, my pig? Where's my think, pig? Where's my pig? I think it it it's it's very good like moral lesson and thematically it shows like the realistic limits of revenge. Everyone knows how good revenge can feel personally or even oh. seeing it like vicariously on a screen, right? Like but I don't know. It just there's some moments where you think he's going to, where exactly like a dumber movie or a movie not a dumber movie, but a movie that's not a different type of movie. I think that's on purpose. Would um oh definitely yeah, and it's like you like is he gonna go murder him now? But instead, he makes him dinner, and that's like the climax of the movie. Not just Nicolas Cage cooking a meal. Yes, he cooks him the meal that they that has like a very emotional connection to the people that he's serving in the moment, AKA the big bad dude. It's, I don't know. It's so beautifully. Like I love the way that he like hit them or he, his tool for revenge was empathy and like sadness almost. And he wasn't just spoiler alert. He serves them a dinner that they had when, like right before the wife of the bad guy and the mother of his sidekick, they get, she gets in like some accident. Yeah. So, okay. Hold on one, one moment here. (laughs) Got it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So we're in spoiler territory. Nicholas cage. It turns out is a famous chef. He like was the most famous chef in Portland, which the movie mostly takes place in. Um, And then just sort of dropped off the map after his wife died. Like, I think that's the implication. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so they find, he figures out that this this guy has his pig. And it's somebody that he had served like 20 years ago. He knows this because Nicolas Cage is being driven around by this guy's son. Um, sorry, I just wanted to set, set that up because it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, Alex. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, so at least in that, like, the denouement of the film, right? When, like, everything is going to come together and you're going to see how all of the cards fall. 
it just does it in a way that is i think in context of hollywood and films nowadays it's refreshing it's not cynical it's optimistic and it's like tender and i think honestly just because of the inundation of like the funny schlocky violent stuff that we've been so used to in the 21st century in really all of postmodern movement i think that it's just i don't know how to say it. it's just so nice to see <laughs> it's so like and it's original too and it just i don't know it, it just makes me less angry than some of these other films that are set up in a revenge waste like are supposed to be don't get me wrong i love john wick i think it's i think it's a cool series i think it's fun and entertaining but you're talking about the the 47 movies a year starring liam neeson right exactly you know like i don't know i just i don't want my hero sometimes to be like good at everything right he can shoot a gun and he can cook a five-star michelin meal he can you know fight with his hands and all this crazy shit it's like no i just don't i'm just done with the ubermensch attitude you know <laughs> like well it has its place it definitely has its place but so does this and I, I agree it is refreshing and i love that this movie got the level of attention that it did i find that very interesting and i and i don't know I don't know if it was because people thought it was going to be a John Wick style thing with with Nicolas Cage and a pig that it got the attention that it did, but it got a theatrical release. Mm -hmm. Um, This movie was made for very, very little money. Um, I wasn't able to find out exactly how much, but but very little. In very little time. Shot in 20 days. Oh, damn. It's It's the director's first film, and it's a very, very impressive first film. Um, it looks great almost all of the time. There is some, you guys know I hate this. Maybe you saw it, the shaky tan- shaky cam during dialogue <laughs> scenes. Yeah. Like, just don't ever do that. Yeah. I mean, maybe it <laughs> could work. That. I was like, oh, Jesse's going to fucking hate this. Like, right <laughs> maybe when I it saw could it. work, but, like, there's no reason. Yep, I, I haven't I, seen it work yet. I thought right it away. It looks like crap. Yeah, I was I was pretty uh that was pretty jarring, especially after the scene that it follows. Yeah, it's it's clear that the director has like a, a style that he's going for. He like he locks the camera down a lot and he has very interesting choices of where he places the camera. Sometimes it's very far away, it'll be through a doorway or something like that. And which is all just to say it it looks very good except when you're shaking the camera while people are talking. I don't understand it. I just don't, I don't understand it. It's like, are you worried we're going to be bored or something? Cause like your movie is pig. Like people who are going to be bored, you're not going to wake them up by shaking the camera while Nicolas Cage is talking. I think it's supposed to give like a kind of contextual aspect for the audience like you're kind of standing there i think that's why he kind of positions the camera behind the car at eye level kind of like you're the third person in that party standing at the back of the car watching them argue because when he kicks the car the camera steps back as if it was a person stepping back so i think it's supposed to be like a like a perspective thing i mean regardless of what it is it, it i personally I'm not a fan. I notice it right away. I'm like, okay, 
some shaky cam. Cool. I, I personally don't like it in like action. I prefer it not to be in action. I don't mind it in this kind of slow, in this context. But in general, it's just like, please don't. I understand the context of it more in action because it's like, ooh, it's action, you know? Yeah, it makes more sense. But it makes more sense, but it also does look bad. But I, in I don't action, like you have the quit when you do shaky I don't like it in anything. And yeah. quick cuts. It's like motion sickness, the movie. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's the hallmark of a bad action director. 100%. Yep. I loved this movie. I was, I fell in love with it immediately. Um, among many of my professions in life, my main one has been and always will be a chef. Oh, yeah. Jeff makes amazing food. Every being, time he makes me something, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy. Being a <laughs> chef has been one of my life's greatest joys. And uh, this movie is about food. I mean, to me, it's a love it's story. It's about loss and food. <laughs> yes. It's, it's a love story about food. There's so many digs at modern culinary at the modern culinary world that I, resonates so well with me because I know a lot of these types of chefs like the chef that I oh mean, the I, one that Nick the, arguably I think destroys. the best scene yeah in the best scene mm-hmm. of the movie is probably that scene but we'll get to that but I mean I know a lot of chefs like that who are just very obsessed with the cutting edge and the modern and the gastro chemical cooking and the weird deconstructed foods. And it's always to me like in small portions and in gimmicks. And I've always hated that because for me, I love simple home flavors, umami. I like to take flavors that are simple and create something magical with them. And that's what this movie is about. Every little thing he does, everything with food in this movie is so sensual. The touch, even the first thing when he, all the chapters are named after dishes. Mm-hmm. And then the, the when he makes the mushroom tart in the beginning and he's like folding the dough with the hands and you like, it's all very tactile, very, uh, lots of, um, just like, uh, diegetic sounds going on. And it's just very, I don't know. It's, it, it just shows the love of the cooking when they're making that meal for the, the, the quote unquote bad guy. I don't think there's really any bad guys. There are kind of shady people in this movie he's he's pretty awful but yeah he's he's not he's not a typical movie bad guy yeah he's just kind of like a shitty businessman yeah he's just an asshole yeah it's just like a douchey guy but uh i didn't feel like any way like he was like a like an evil man you know i didn't get that like villain aspect from him and i think all of that is intentional in this movie it's all about showing like how cooking is a love language and it's my love language and it's how I always show you as my friends and everyone around me that I love them and I think that's where the love aspect comes in. I mean, food is sense memory. Now you're hitting where I was at apropos like what is this movie about, you know? Well, you say we, it's about it's, it's about loss. We've said that. Yeah. But it's it's and the the element you brought in there when he is it, it when you have that scene where he takes apart that chef he deconstructs the chef who makes deconstructed food yeah i saw that imdb thing too i was, too. I was like i was like huh <laughs> like that's smart that's clever um <laughs> that's clever um uh my train of thought sorry just just got destroyed oh, but, no it's fine uh, um, get to be jesse <laughs> uh what was i talking about i was talking about what this movie was about to me yeah just like yeah. love and so, loss yeah yeah love and loss but also like 
there's an element of what is true for you at the core of things that goes beyond the empty glitz, right? He's like talking to the kid. He's like, you like that car? You like that shirt? And it turns out he didn't even want his pig back because he's good at truffles. It's like, because I love her. And it's mm-hmm. like that that feeling and that feeling that he engenders in you, the feeling that comes from that performance and just that ideal or that idea is so much more fulfilling than the 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 emptiness of that restaurant or living in the city with all of your with all of your cars and clothes and all this junk or that guy like the guy's dad the villain in his big empty house you know yeah. like it's like it's like finding what's real to you and embracing that no matter what the fuck anyone else thinks it's like administering instead of revenge really it's really forgiveness and tenderness right like it's not like i'm not saying he fully forgives everything i just mean that getting the pig back is really the main goal it's not i'm going to destroy all the people who had a hand in this right no he like, uses empathy his like exactly. you said before alex his weapon is empathy even when he deconstructs the chef he's <laughs> doing it from an empathetic position he's like what was your like no he doesn't say what was your he doesn't question him he remembers that this guy used to work for him and therefore is like, you wanted to open a pub. Like what happened to yeah, that dream? And then just exactly. proceeds to upend his life, but in a way that will be helpful to this person. And then he's like, where's my fucking pig? Yeah, <laughs> but that's exactly. Such a, that's such a part of like what it means. This movie's not just about food. It's about restaurants. It's about the food culture and the food world and being in, in so entapped with that. It's like the idea of like the fact that it used to be a hotel in Pioneer Park and they destroyed it and then now Pioneer Park is just full of food trucks and food trucks have this very like kind of modern, new agey, generic feel. As you can see, as he moves through Pioneer Park in the background, there's all these food trucks that he passes by and it's kind of this this new youthful industrialization of his world which used to be the sit down the memorable talking about the wine when the son was going over that experience that his parents had like i've had those experiences and i've tried to give people those experiences while cooking about like the most memorable night of like you talk about the food and the wine and that's all that you can talk about and this movie just shows that tactile nature of the restaurant industry and that restaurant people are insane like they are like everyone who works <laughs> in the restaurant industry providers and and procurers of ingredients like like this this is a, a show a movie about a truffle pig industry like a, i mean a, a truffle gathering industry and they they frame it in a way where it's almost kind of like a mob it feels very cutthroat yeah it's like criminal underworld but these people are just trading fucking mushrooms you know what exactly. i mean yeah. exactly exactly this, this movie takes it and flips those <laughs> concepts on their head constantly the whole movie where it's like you think it's going to be a john wick but uh nicholas cage is a pacifist the definition of a pacifist he literally gets beaten for information yeah. In this restaurant mm-hmm. fight club, which I loved. <laughs> which was awesome, yeah. <laughs> I also like the fact that he never cleans himself off the whole movie. Yes! He's just yeah. <laughs> he's just getting bloodier and bloodier as it goes on, and it's just like wearing the experience of the journey on his face. It's and it never gets clean. And the movie stops acknowledging it eventually. 
Like at first, like it's like very much like, oh wow, you're like fucked up, and now people are just like, okay, like there's just this super bloody guy like hanging around, and he goes and he's eating in the most like that in that restaurant, that super floofy restaurant, yep. just just like looks like caked. He looks like somebody you would not want to meet on the street. He's just wearing these grubby clothes. He's got long, wild hair, bushy ass beard. His Starts hair is his bloody. Hands. His face is bloody. Yeah, they're like, "Damn, dude, do you need help?" Yeah, he says, "Do you need medical attention?" Like, yeah. the guy asks, <laughs> yeah. and he's like, "No." <laughs> now, Nicholas Cage has a great performance, and this has this kind of like straightforward. Like, I don't know, he he very much tapped into like his true acting chops instead of being like, "I'm Nicholas Cage in this movie." He's like, "No, I'm going to show you that like I act." And I have that like mm-hmm. deep connection to the material. I mean, there are scenes in this where, like, I mean, when he breaks down, when he figures out the pig is dead, or when he's um, having the conversation with the chef, where like, it, it's some. Those are some very convincing and emotionally like impactful scenes. Really good facial mechanic yeah. links in his acting in this movie, because, like you guys said, he doesn't have a lot of lines, and you know. Nicolas Cage has never been, like, top tier at, like, delivering huge monologues or anything like that without without that, like, Nicolas Cage-iness. You know, I'm thinking more, like, early 2000s, mid-90s type mm-hmm. of Nicolas Cage. Adaptation, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. But now, I'm really starting to see the type of actor that he is where it's, like, he doesn't have to do a weird southern accent, like, in Con Air or something like that, you know? And it's, like... That whole conversation that he has with that chef, and even the conversations that he has with the son, um, with Alex Wolf's character, there's like so much being said in his face, like the whole don't show, or excuse me, don't tell, but show type thing. He's really, really good at it, and it's seemingly, disregarding his past few movies that he's done, it's like almost come out of nowhere for me. Like, yeah. I don't know if it's his age. I don't know if it's like he went and took like a an acting class or picked up like how to act for dummies or something. But like he's added this whole new element to his spectrum and his range of acting. And it was like masterfully done in this movie. Well, Cage, Cage is an interesting one. I've always liked Nicolas Cage. And I, I don't know, at the same time as embracing the fact that he became a meme because it yeah. is fun. It is fun, the fact that he's a meme. Um, it's also kind of sad mm-hmm. because he's a really good actor when he's in the right roles, which this is. And I and I hope it. I hope this is a renaissance for him because, dude, he's just been made... Like, he has to be in everything because of, like, his financial troubles. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a, he's a wild guy. He, like, bought an island. He bought a dinosaur skull. He just bought all kinds Damn. of crazy shit. And... It all caught up with him. That's why he's in 37 Redbox movies a month. You know, yeah. he's just in like anything <laughs> that will give him money, um, which does lead to some interesting movies. Like we, we all love Mandy for cer- for certain um, from 2018. Color Out of Space, I think was Color was Out good. of Space was fun. That was yeah. a fun movie. That was a fun Lovecraft thing. And you get, you get him going batshit insane in that movie, which yeah, always is great. always wonderful. You you love a good a good crazy cage performance, but this is not that. It's just mannered and slow and detailed. Um, did did you guys laugh at any point? I chuckled a few times. 
when he's like, I'm looking for a pig, <laughs> you know, in that cage voice. Yeah, and I don't, I don't, I don't think it was the performance. I think it's just like residual Nicolas Cage memory in yes. my brain. You know, yeah. like it it's be, not, yeah. it's not his fault. No, there's definitely the writing. Yeah, was go ahead. Good. Go just ahead, Alex. Set that up. I was gonna say like the scene in the diner. You know, when he just waltzes in, he's like, "I want to speak to Martha." <laughs> She's like, "Martha's been dead for ten years." And he just it's kinda, the diner like, like right down the road. Yeah, and he just like pauses <laughs> for a second. And he's like. Oh, do you have a phone? She's like, are you going to order anything? And he's like, no. I don't know. I thought that was like actually kind of funny. He's and very like, like the flat delivery. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, he, yeah. No, he, has, he has a few really great lines. I mean, they tried to do some forced humor with like the, the radio scene where like he's, they're switching on and off the radio. Very classic kind of like comedy well, duo. I have a thing about that, actually. I'm okay. glad you brought that up. And um, because it's 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 showing like cage like silence right he barely listens to anything he just and whatever he is silent you hear nature you hear nature and he's just immersed in that which he is from the get-go um in his cabin and i think this circles back around and the 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 way that he touches people because he and the kid are fighting over the radio in the beginning and the kid's listening to this like how to be a debonair music blah 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 like some some douchey thing that he's listening to and at the end he turns it on he listens to it for a second and then he turns it off and he lays back in the seat of his sports car and just listens to nature so i thought that that was like a really nice way of showing how nicholas cage's character robin affected people Mm. he definitely leaves like a trail of impact behind him like he's Instead of the John Wickian trail of blood and bodies and guns and bullets, he lives leaves this like trail of empathy and like kind of like introspection behind him, where all of these people are now a little bit more, I don't know, connected to like that connected. emotional part of themselves. Like they like they talk about when they're when he confronts um, Alex Wolf, uh, his character's father. Darius, I believe his name. Yeah, there, that's his name in the movie. Um, the the villain. He they he confronts him, and he when they're about to part, he says something along the lines of like, like after she, he's acknowledging the fact that after the accident that put his wife in like a vegetative yeah. Were you state, always like this, yes, or just after like she this? died? Exactly. And so that he's acknowledging that like these both of them were once very different men. And that there's a piece of that man still left inside of them that they've chosen to hide away and and in one person in cage's character actually physically hid away and in darius's character he immersed himself in his work to the point where he kind of became this like boss this villain type Mm -hmm. character ruthless mob boss and like of the truffle industry and it's like it through speaking to him through the love language of cooking he is now a little more in tune with himself and his life. I think I kind of got the connotation that like him and his son might repair things. I don't know. I just got this whole idea that he, he kind of talked in this almost like childlike softness after the meal. And, Mm -hmm. um, it was, uh, it was very, just a powerful scene. I was very like emotional during that moment. Yeah. Oh yeah. I know 
like that feeling when you take the bite of that meal that means something that like the sense memory that's attached to food is insane cooking mm-hmm. is one of the very few arts that engages all of your senses at once every single one touch smell taste sight everything it's all there and so it's such a sense memory experience and that impact that it had i don't know i was i was very shook by that scene as like does your food talk to you as well jeff i like should we, should we worry it's not about you know, it, it, like you have to like be dead. Like every every time that food was being cooked in this movie, I was like, yes, that's how you cook. Like there's <laughs> there's a delicacy to oh. cooking. Like everything is touched very tenderly. So it's like the opposite of when we watched Phantom Thread and you were like critiquing everything she was doing. You're like, oh yeah, pour the water from up there. That'll make it taste better. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I hate it when like there's just stupid cooking bullshit going on. But yes, there's uh Yeah, I, I can't I can't I can't abide by like tomfoolery and in, 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 in cooking. <laughs> I can't do it. Like like that's why right away when she pulled the little smoky container off the top of the dish, I was like, I said out loud, I was like, "Oh come on!" That was such a funny statement, Jeff. I can't abide tomfoolery <laughs> cooking. You know, it's funny because like in restaurants, I thought that the cr- I thought they nailed the front of the house like very well. You know, because back of house is cooking. Front of house is like all about just empty, hollow shows of like pouring water up from like 20 meters up you know yeah like i was a waiter i was like a, a server in a lot of restaurants i could never work my way into the more authentic and like vibrant realm of back of house i was always put up front of house so it was always like there's something so hollow Facade, about it yeah, yeah. Well, and it's she like she even does that she's speaking very robotically i was like so is this ridiculous like the gimmick i was like I is this the gimmick of this place i, I think they were trying to make a statement of like how these servers aren't like people. They're just like little menu regurgitation robots. Yeah, exactly. This goes into my point earlier about like the, the sort of differentiation between Nicolas Cage's world, the world of authenticity and empty, empty glitz, you know, like emptiness. And the movie has this weird apocalyptic thing going on. Uh, I kind of want to rewatch at least certain scenes where he has some monologues. Um, dogs. <laughs> uh, um, what was my point? So, oh yeah, okay. So there's a there's a curious thing going on in this movie that's almost like borderline apocalyptic, and in Nicolas Cage's um, monologues, where he's like, I, "Like everything is gonna die, and you can't get away from it." So I don't know, like live your best life. I can't exactly remember the yes. monologues. But yeah, yeah. He was, was talking about how we are due for an earthquake, and I mean, this is all. Everything he said was very true. It was very like climate extremist, but it was very true. Like we're due for an earthquake, and when that happens, the shock wave is gonna like flatten the ocean. He says, and then like the bridges are gonna collapse, and then there's gonna be a massive tidal wave, and all of Portland will be back underwater again because it used to be underwater thousands of years before. So he's just talking about like the cyclical aspect of nature, how it just, it will like claim and unclaim and reclaim different areas over time and how we as humans really have no, we're just visiting here at all times. The idea of the volcano, I think, 
Yeah, he was thinking go to Mount, Mount Hood. Hood. He's like, Mount yeah. Hood's an active volcano. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, they have an earthquake, and an earthquake, that's the first thing that's going to pop. Yeah. Going to Jesse's point about like the dichotomy here between like the really flashy and the really earthy, I feel like that's really well represented by Alex Wolf's character. I can't think of his name right now for some reason. Amir. 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 Amir they only and... say it like twice in the actual movie. Got it. Amir and Robin are really good representations of that. And not only is Amir a representation of that, but him and his father work as dual symbols of like where that path gets you, right? Amir seems to be like he's on the up. He's snappy. He's confident. He wears nice clothes. He has a nice car. And only as the movie progresses do we see the pitfalls of that. We see what he could turn into with his father being just like, a soulless man and there are tender moments with amir when he goes to visit his mother and things like that and you see like he almost is like reaching out and being like i know that there's something more to life i know that there's something more genuine you're like oh this is this is a real person and not just this like guy chasing emptiness there's a reason he does what he does and a sadness to his backdrop there's loss there as well he's lost his mother and his father in a sense his mother is kept on life support and he doesn't even want it i mean he goes to the door yeah he just goes to the door and like says things to the door he's like why is he fucking keeping you alive why can't he just let you die yeah and you're like god damn son i know it's it's an emotion yeah i love that it's it's a surprising emotional twist from a character that i don't think we were expecting and i think that's why it's so satisfying is i think they at least for me, I was kind of along the impression that Amir was supposed to be kind of the levity of the story. You know, he's something you always yeah. connect, or he's he's the audience because in every scene where Rob Robin the is Nicholas Cage's character is kind of demonstrating his strength or power or ability, it always cuts back to him, kind of just like wide eyed and observant. And so I was like, okay, he's taking on this very like audience-like role. Like we're sitting here, like, oh shit. Uh, but they then they they turn it on its head in the third act of the movie, and they really turn him into much more of like they round out his character arc, which is just so smart, so indicative of a good film, uh, good director and a good writer. I like. I really liked how they did that too. You know, because it wasn't just two symbols of different sides, like what Jesse was saying, the real and the fake. It was like how your exposure to the real, like driving around town with Nicolas Cage, it's going to have an effect on, on you, and it's going to wear that facade down. And Nicolas Cage's character knows that after being, you know, top-line chef for so long. And he tells that to the chef that he's he's talking to as he's recanting his story, too. Or, yeah, and he's like, what does he say? He's like, they, these people don't care about you. They're not real. None of these people. Yeah, are none of this is so real. Yeah, though, you guys. like it's so true. Like, <laughs> the like cooking is something that's so real. It's so tangible. Like I said, it engages all the senses. It's so real, and it is also one of the most just delegitimized, and it's just turned into plastic. The entire world of mm-hmm. like high level professional cooking, like being a chef at his level. I've never been at his level, but I've known many chefs at that level. Um, and mentored under them. and Are they happy? No, they're all terrible, miserable souls. They're all so miserable. And they're also, I don't know, they're so 
disconnected sometimes from the uh-huh. from what made cooking so important to them and it's such a sad and it's it's like that you see the death of that inside of them it's become such this generic plastic world of the celebrity chef i mean one of the last indications in the fall of rome was that they had celebrity chefs like <laughs> it, it was it's such a silly thing to celebritize mm-hmm and and, you, and then it creates this false sense of like superiority and ego. Then you get the Gordon Ramsays and all that kind I of. I was shit. about to say, like, there's a chef that I follow. I have his cookbook at home. His name's um, J. Kenji Lopez Alt, and he is what a name. Yeah, I know he's an interesting dude. He is all about like, like he'll teach you how to make like things like homemade spaghettios from like a can that tastes like the ones from the can. Right. Cause he's like, <laughs> what I'm trying to do, he's like, I'm not trying to teach you how to make the best food possible. He's like, I'm trying to teach you how you can recreate food that gives you memories of when you were a kid or when you were happy and joyous. And he actually called out Gordon Ramsay on like a, social media thing or whatever and was just like you have created a world where people think like to be a good chef you have to be a just a terribly terribly like villainous person right he's like that isn't the world of cooking that i ever want to be a part of and that's why i got out of it yeah and i think that like i think kenji at least in the real world is like spot on with that and i think that that is if you're looking at this movie from just like the cooking culinary standpoint it is like what the movie is trying to say i mean cooking like what you were saying jeff there is no other leisurely activity that i can think of that is more tied to our basic survival than having fun when you cook like sports are like yeah they simulate times of war but like it's not tied to survival right like the procurement preparation and consumption of food has been around since literally the beginning of time. It's not some hyperbole or anything like that. It's literally one of the most base things that humans can do. And attached with all that is like nascent memory, nascent feeling, and just like, I don't know. It's just a a mixture of all of the things that humans need. You eat at a table with with people, you know? Like... And they show sorry, that. go ahead. And no, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm just I'm excited to hear you say this. And it's just, <laughs> it, it shows that in the film, though. Like the director and and the and the cinematographers really paid attention to the food itself. Like that tart, that mushroom tart that he makes in the beginning. Like when I see food, like Jesse will tell you, like before, I critique it in a movie. I'm like, okay, what are they doing here? Like how are they? <laughs> like everything he did, like with the hand rolling and making the rough puff pastry. And then, like, when he was eating it with the pig, I was, like, looking at it, trying to get a good angle. I was like, oh, my God, dude, the freaking blackening on the top of that is beautiful. Like, I was, like, <laughs> I was so excited about how nice that tart looked. Like, it, it looked like something a professional chef would make. Like, now, probably, most likely, they bought it, but... <laughs> that's fine but it, it lo- had the look they 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 dressed it up movie style in the way that was mm-hmm. very reminiscent of somebody who knows something about good cooking and good umami and then mushrooms and like, ooh okay i'm going to let someone else talk because i, I want to talk about <laughs> mushrooms <laughs> I, my mushroom okay, tarts yeah, are in I, the oven they're ready i have something to say yeah. <laughs> so like when they're when the when they're at the dinner table eating I had this thought in in my little brain box. 
<laughs> and I was like, because I was on the edge of my seat watching it. I was like, oh, is it going to work? Is it going to like bring back the, his memories and empathy and stuff? And it's just this quiet scene, three people sitting at a table eating fucking food. And I was like, this is more exciting than any action scene that I've seen in like a year. <laughs> you know, maybe that, maybe that's not true. Um, but, you know, like I watch a lot of hollow junk. The point is like just three people sitting around a table eating. If there's like a really good emotional connection there, it's all you need. And it's way better than, you know, some some junk action. Yeah. Essentially. My favorite scene in the whole movie actually has not been mentioned yet. But it's when he goes and he visits... <sighs> It could maybe be his daughter, maybe a relative. She owns the bakery. I think it was somebody who worked at the restaurant okay. before. Yeah, I was, I was at, at most, I was reaching, I was like, maybe that's his sister-in-law. Like, like an old friend or, or something. Yeah, exactly. Like, like maybe that's... Like, well, she calls him chef at the end. Exactly, okay. yeah. Got it. So that scene, the way it was shot, I love the idea of implied light sources, you know, where like you don't see where the light's coming from, but like you know where it's coming from. It was almost like a courtyard, but they're sitting in that dark room. And that chapter is about, I think it's like a salted French bread loaf is mm-hmm. the name of that chapter. Yep. And like, <laughs> such as again, very simple item of food. And these two people speaking with each other, I just, that was giving me like Paris, Texas, you know, slow, still scenes where you let the actors act and you let the feelings just like, exude out into the atmosphere of the movie i loved that scene i thought it was so i don't know just delicate and tender and like to see the each relationship almost represented by a different plate of food like the one that there there's being just salted french bread loaf i just i don't know i just loved that that whole scene Dude, dude, this movie is like Jeff's version of Paris, Texas. Yeah, right. You have a guy with a mysterious past. It's very understated and slow. He doesn't talk a lot, (laughs) but it's only 90 minutes. It's about food. Yeah. And like it has, I don't know, it has more like momentum to it (laughs) than Paris, Texas. It just goes somewhere. That's really all of the differences. Is like, it actually has like a plot and a narrative that matters and means. And something. he's looking for somebody yeah, too. It's like yeah. in Paris, Texas. Paris, you're, Texas. Like, you're like, what the fuck? Does any of this matter? <laughs> um, yeah. No. I. Yeah. There's there's so much to to talk about in a movie like this because it's it's so condensed in 90 minutes and there's so many great themes, but. I w- well, apparently it was. It's like, supposed to be two hours. Hour yeah, out. It's supposed to be like yeah. two hours plus. Which, which I hope we. Oh, I don't really? Know. I hope to get a pig. I, I hope to get a pig director's cut. I'd I'd be interested to see it. I'm not sure if it needs it. I don't think it needs it. I'd be interested to see what was cut. What was decided yeah. was not needed. That's more. It's more of yeah, because it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't the filmmaker that decided to cut it. It was. It was the the producers studio, or yeah. whatever the the um not producers i don't i don't know if this it was a studio producers neon. Uh, the 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 release whoever released neon it, yeah it was their decision um but yeah i mean this movie here's my hackneyed film critic thing if i were writing like a review of this i'd be like this movie is like a perfectly cooked meal that you like the kind that you were talking about jeff it's these simple delicious ingredients just made to perfection to create something new and interesting and it's perfectly balanced and it's memorable can i do a cooking nerd thing real quick one last time mm-hmm. 
Sure. Um, mushrooms? Uh, so, yeah. So, <laughs> mushrooms. All right. So, I know a lot of people don't like them. They're one of the most oh, disliked foods. On the, uh, as far as, like, the palate, olives and mushrooms are the two most disliked oh. foods. and they're I love yeah, them both. Me, too. <laughs> it's actually my favorite type of pizza is olive and mushroom pizza. Um, but... So mushrooms are are amazing um, beyond just the science of them. The fact that they've pretty much confirmed that they came to Earth on an asteroid via like a frozen spore and everything like oh, that. Oh yeah, because they're so they're unlike so, all different their DNA types of life. Is fucking wild! Like there's so many the, 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 the way that they live, the things that they feed on. They pretty much feed on the opposite of most growing matter. Mm-hmm. What they feed on, they can live in the most insane situations. So. I just I I love mushrooms. I'm fascinated. I've been mushroom picking. Um, I love them psychedelic and otherwise. <laughs> and, um, but mushrooms are are so great because uh, they represent a flavor called umami, and umami is the part of the palate on your tongue, which it's it's an indescribable. That's why we use a Japanese term for it because the Japanese term describes more of the feeling. But it's the feeling of like hominess, like a good roux and a chowder or like a buttered bread, you know, the umami, that, that flavor that takes you home, but warms your belly is the umami flavor, the richness. That's, that's my shit. Soy right sauce there. is You're an umami. Yes. Um, um, miso. Yeah. Making me hungry. Miso is an umami, all of that stuff. And so some of my favorite flavors. And so anything fermented is an umami, but uh, so mushrooms are so unique because they're so difficult. They take so much work, especially truffles. I mean, he says that he understands how to gather them by looking at the trees. I mean, he's a pretty expert mushroom picker, I guess, at this point in the movie. So I would... He'd choose dirt. Yeah, I would would assume (laughs) that he does know what he's talking about, but that would be like the highest level of understanding because you really do need truffle pigs. This is such a huge, because they are buried underneath the earth, unlike a lot of mushrooms that grow. But even regular mushroom foraging is just such an endeavor, such a laborious process. And it's only done by, at least in my experience, I've only ever met the most wonderful and loving people that do it. Because it's something that you can only do if you truly love it. Because it's so intense and laborious and takes so much knowledge and, and know-how. And it's such a kind of great representation in this movie of kind of what the idea of food is. Like he, he spends all this time and energy and eating the dirt and connecting with the nature to then sell this product to a very plastic world that doesn't appreciate it. The, the truffles are very important for our winter menu. You know, it's like that's <laughs> yeah. the world that he's selling it to. But a truffle is, a truffle mushroom is umami encapsulated it's the most umami it's i mean maybe porcini mushroom but it's insane welcome to the mushroom cast it's so insane how like flavorful (laughs) it is uh, just by itself and to be able to like i don't know it's just so beautifully captured that's really what i'm trying to get at is it to choose mushrooms as the medium in this movie was such a brilliant choice and done by someone who really knows food and knows what those that mushroom connection yeah they could have gone they could have gone with like a wild turnip pig there's there there could have been someone you could have gone through a carrot pig you could have it could have been a sheep like a sheep dog like you know it could have been there's so many other things that you could have done but to tie it to yeah but then it would I mean, the whole thing like it had to be a pig because it's it's just tied it's tied to that world yeah it's tied to the the 
whole restaurant industry like it's just well the other there was a one there's a a great metaphor where he lives in in nature with this pig pig being the representation of food and he lives in harmony with the food with something that we consider food which is incredibly smart animal a pig and then people masked unnamed people come in and they take the pig the food to someone who is going to turn it into this like plastic like very like glitzy fake world so it's like almost like a metaphor for kind of our food industry and what we do to food we kind of take it and rip it out of its natural roots and and shove it into these like beautiful little white plates and uh i thought that was very i don't know just a very clear metaphor for me yeah there's it's a it's a film with very few flaws there's very it's only two scenes of violence and in both scenes our protagonist does not participate he's a full pacifist the entire movie mm-hmm. and then there's no guns in the entire movie uh, mm-hmm. there's the only weapon used was a baseball bat well, I think I think he had intended to stab those motherfuckers in the beginning. Yeah, but that because he has the knife. But, I don't but they just get to him first. That you use like I don't consider a kitchen a kitchen knife is a weapon in an improvised sense, but it's a tool. Exactly. Well, that's exactly what it is. I know. I in like yeah. a defense situation. But I, I'm not saying he's like a knife fighter yeah, or something. I, I'm just saying he's he's not full pacifist. No, I know. Defend himself there. But he doesn't ever. But he. That's the thing is. He's defending himself against two meekly little tweakers, and, and he, yeah. Well, I mean, we don't know that they're masked. We don't. We don't know. I believe that. No, later. that's the implication. Is that the, those two tweakers they interview are the ones that took the no? Bags. Yeah, but I'm saying we don't know that as the scene occurs. Oh yes, I, I I get what you're saying. Yes, it's just like yeah. But I know. But if that was the actual case, I mean, I don't think I I couldn't see the those two skinny tweakers overpowering Nick Cage in massive gorilla form. It almost yeah. is symbolic of how the movie's going to play out, right? It's like, oh no, this these people are breaking into our protagonist's home. Yeah, there you go. Grab the knife and then bonk. Yep, like then he just gets hit on out. the head. Yep. And you're like, oh, so you are not as quiet as like com- combat. Uh, like you're not you're not a Keanu Reeves. Yeah, he's exactly. not going to go snapping necks and stuff like that. Exactly. He's just this isn't a Bruce He's actually Willis quite movie. inept in the whole movie because he like he can't get around. He has to rely on someone for money and cars and phones. He has no real connection to this world. He steals a bike bike. in probably (laughs) the single greatest way I've ever seen. It was like the funniest scene in the movie. I was dying. He just fucking walks up. He walks away and the guy's like, hey, ah! And then just just screams at him. That's the whole scene. Which in Portland, I guess, could be any day. I also like the scene where he like talks to a little kid and it's just like Grizzly Adams covered in blood just sits down next to this child and like questions him about his instrument and mm-hmm. like the scene that is like pretty pointless but it's I don't know it's nice I guess he yeah, he used to live there he said yeah it was his old house talking about the persimmon tree yeah. I'm glad yeah. that they didn't have like I that. wonder if that was part of like residual plot line from something else maybe that we would see in a, that the extra hour maybe I mean I don't know like. I, I'm happy they didn't have that scene continue to where like his mom comes home and she's like, "Oh my god!" and who is this? And I yeah, thought that's that, what was going to happen. I thought that's where it I was, was going, waiting for it, and, it, and I was like, "Please don't!" It never <laughs> goes there. Yeah, it's some freaking out. Who's this man, Jimmy? Covered in blood. Yeah, exactly. I really like, we don't need that. we don't need that in this movie. We don't need that in this movie. Yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, it's a good one. It's 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 a good one. I I almost feel like I don't want to talk it to death. No, it's it's um, yeah. I, I mean, we pretty much hit all the notes. I mean, it's straightforward. It's a it's a story about love, loss, and the connection through art, and the and that art and that art is the medium of cooking. Mm-hmm. It's a story that's yeah. been told many times in many different ways, and this is just another iteration and a brilliant one. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it. Uh, go see it. Um, I'm sorry that you know that the pig dies, but it's still worth watching. <laughs> yeah, it's making waves too. Like you said, it actually had a pretty like big like presence, you know, like as it was being yeah. released and everything. And I was surprised because yeah. with Mandy and some of the other stuff that he's done um, recently, like very recently, I had no idea about these films until they were like on their streaming services and whatnot. And this one was like. No, we're going to give well, it a Well, none of them come out in theaters, Alex. None of these, yeah. no Nick Cage movie comes out in theaters anymore. Yeah, Which is not. just crazy to me. Like, I hope that this is a renaissance for him. I really do. Because I would love to see him in films, not just these junk-ass movies. Yeah. You know? I like, think I'd love to see him in, like, put him in a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, you know, as, like, some sort of old guy. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, hey. Let's do something. Definitely Brendan Fraser. Yeah, but him and yeah, Fraser used with a Scorsese, or just like have him lean into like this kind of more like quiet, grizzled man. I think this is like a good pocket for him to stay in right now. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, still have depth. I mean, don't go into like Nature Man. Like, don't get type uh, typecast. But I think this is a good for pocket for him to be in as an actor. Is this like kind of quiet, contemplative, minimal lines, like the like Leo in the Revenant kind of kind of actor. <laughs> yeah he could go crazy too he's good at that it's more just like finding the right role for him and having a good director to get the performance out of him well, i think he cares about the as art as opposed to just some generic thing that he has to do yeah well he cares he does care about, he cares the, about art. the art and he I does think if, if you pair him with a director that really cares about the art i think that always yields something i mean you could take this movie and mandy and just have it be the most beautiful bookends of his acting range. Like if anyone's like Nick Cage isn't a good actor, I'm like, here, watch these two movies and tell me this guy doesn't have range. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or a lot of the old stuff, like bringing out the dead. He did work with Scorsese. Of course. He was in bringing out the dead. I mean, I mean he's um, a big family. He has a lot of family connections to, you know, that probably well, he's is, a Coppola. Yeah. It owes to his success. Does, his is success. He? Francis Ford he is, Coppola he is, is a Coppola. I did not know that. He, um, he decided to yeah. go with Nick Cage um, because he wanted to sort of do it on his own. Of course, own. yeah, that makes sense. But that's just, that's cool. I did not know that he was related to Coppola at all. Yeah. yeah. Which makes sense. Though. I think that makes sense that he has like that connection to like film yeah. in that way. He really loves the it's medium part of, that of film. Big old clan. Yep. yep. Well, boys. Pig. Well, boys, have we seen anything else this week before we wrap up? I've been watching a TV show oh, um, called it. The Wire. <laughs> Get the fuck that, out that of is, here! That is, you know, just a little well, a little known, a little, HBO little unknown, uh, yeah, <laughs> little unknown little gem of a show there that no one's ever seen before. <laughs> it's I like I, I, I know, I've heard of it. I don't know what it is though. It's like along a crime with drama. The Sopranos, 
it's yeah. like a lot of times you see it at the top of the list of like greatest HBO yeah. shows, at least TV series of all time, like yeah. prime time. It's like a big time crime yeah. drama. Like so are you joking or are you actually watching it? Oh, I, I'm watching it. No, just it's a doing fucking amazing okay. show. It's, <laughs> yeah, okay. it's really it's good. It's hilarious yeah. the way he framed it. He was <laughs> yeah. like, I'm watching yeah. a show called uh, The Wire. That'd be like, I'm watching this show called The Sopranos. Have you ever heard of it? Oh, shit. <laughs> I just went and saw this little-known painting at the Louvre, little museum in France. <laughs> it's called the you Mona have Lisa heard of it. or something. Yeah. I don't know. It's about some, the moaning Lisa, about some smiling bitch. <laughs> yeah. Um, I watched a, a film called Giant. All right. <laughs> 1956 with James Dean and Rock Hudson. Alex was privy. I was messaging him during this movie because the first half, I was like, "Have you seen Giant?" And he's like, "Yeah." I saw it a bunch of times. <laughs> I guess like you, your grandpa would show it to you all the time. Yeah, he, something like that. He's big on movies and just like plopping the kids to, instead of like babysitting. You know? Oh yeah. They just I know that put, sit you down on the like carpet and stuff and just flip on like these old movies and everything. It used to it was Fantasia a lot when we were like really young, and then once we got to a certain age, it was like okay, I'm gonna start showing you like serious movies like. Bridge on the River Kwai. He he performed in the soundtrack for Doctor Shivago, so he like would show us that movie all the fucking time. And be like, that's me playing the instrument. And we're like, we know, <laughs> but um, uh, we know all. Well, yeah, man. Giant. I fucking I messaged Alex. I was halfway through. I was like, have you seen Giant? He's like, yeah, a bajillion times. My grandfather showed it to us, and I was like, okay. So is it worth finishing because I'm halfway through it and I loathe it. Oh shit. <laughs> and Alex is like it has one payoff, the very yeah. ultimate scene. Yeah. I'm like, "Oh, great. <laughs> this is just it's a movie about a nice lady surrounded by a culture of racist Texas cunts with yeah. nothing redeemable." And I was like, "Is is the is the payoff Rock Hudson getting murdered, please?" <laughs> it is it is fun to see a young Dennis Hopper. Yeah, but I I reported back to Alex once I finished it, and I was like, okay, I got it. The yeah. whole point of the movie, and you distilled it perfectly. Um, he's racist the whole movie, and he's a cunt. And at the end of it, he beats up a guy for being racist. And Alex puts this in quotation marks. By this punch, I am not racist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you're like, great. I sat through three and a half hours to get to that. Uh, oh, and it's like, okay, Sorry I guess. That. It's it's fun watching James Dean. He is an interesting performance. But I, I kind of hated everyone else. But it, like, I understood what it was doing, right? You have to set up atavism. You, like the first half sets up atavism and then the second half is like the newer generation kind of making that disintegrate which is a good point like i like that point i just don't know if it needed to be that long seriously i'm i'm not sure if i recommend it or not i'm kind of on the fence yeah but that's my story and i'm sticking to it it's sprawling for sure i saw a film that i will was thinking about doing an episode on, but I kind of decided against it because it's just, I don't think there's going to be much to say about it, but it's a cute, adorable film that I've seen a lot. Surprise, surprise, Brad Pitt in it. Uh, <laughs> it's a cute film. You're talking about The Mexican, yep, right? The Mexican, yep. <laughs> uh, Burn After Reading. It's a cute movie. Oh. 
I've always loved it. It's clever and has some fun little plot twists and pretty stacked cast and everyone kind of George Clooney and John Malkovich really put their put their weight into the roles. So Yeah, I'd be happy to talk about Burn After Reading. I think you're right though, it is pretty light. I don't know how much but we could fold it into something else. Yeah, perhaps. maybe. I don't know. Maybe it might maybe be like a if we have a another like fluffy movie that we kinda want to talk about, a light comedy, we could fold them in together or like a Cohen Brothers thing. Yeah. Yeah. We were we were talking about like just workshopping the idea of who else we would do as a director spotlight, which is which is tough because a lot of the directors we'd want to do, it would just be too much work. Mm-hmm. It's like the Cohen Brothers. It's like twenty movies. Yeah, it'd be too much. It's like I just if we planned it for a year from now, but then it's like you'd have to remember. Uh, it's just it's just too it's too big, it's too big. It's too big the way we do it, where we look at every film. Mm-hmm. Which which is the way I want to do it, as well. You know, we could we could sit there for an hour and just talk about the Coen Brothers. Well, we kind of did that with the. Uh, the we end up doing episode. that when we when we do people's films. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, we'll we'll talk about the director of that and so. You just gotta find I that sweet know. spot between a director who's like prominent and has something that is worth talking about, but also has a filmography that's compact, manageable. Enough. Yeah, because it's like we couldn't do Scorsese. I think Ari Aster. There's just cool. too many movies. Like we, we've already. Seen Ari Aster has two movies. Three. We should do a Hereditary episode. He's Hereditary. What's his third one? Hereditary, Midsummer, and didn't he do? Um, oh no, he didn't do. Uh, fucking what's the AI movie? Ex Machina. He didn't do that. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah. That's that's a. I think that's a much better movie than either of Ari Aster's yes. movies. Could we do the Wachowski uh, sisters? Oh, my God. <laughs> That's going to be the episode that ends the podcast. Sure. Yeah. We need to not do that. Oh, man. They have one good movie. Seriously. <laughs> They're doing a new one, though. They're doing a new Matrix. Oh, Christ. Which what? I, just, I will watch. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, I'll watch it for sure, I guess. I, I have no idea. I have no expectations. I'll say that much. Yeah. No, thank Damn. You. Talking about chasing the dragon, like I will watch every movie they make just in hope that it's a sliver like The Matrix. I loved that movie. The Matrix is. I'll amazing. go on record as saying I kind of liked Cloud Atlas. It had a very it, it it wasn't wholly successful, but it had a lot of interesting ideas. The book is fucking um, insane. Oh, I bet it is. It's just, <laughs> but like everything else they've done, I don't know. I don't think they've made a good movie. What, have they? What, what have they made? Speed Racer, which was just god-awful. It was a headache. They did V for Vendetta? Oh, really? No. Directed by James McTeague, but it was from a okay. screenplay by the Wachowskis. Okay. But it's based yeah. off the, the DC Comics thing, I guess. So Yeah, even the sequels to The Matrix were, were pretty bad. I don't know. The second one has some interesting stuff. I- if you they 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 are pretty bad, but I remember there was this um this essay that somebody wrote about the Matrix, and they kind of they kind of just took the material that was already there and linked it to the, what they did was they did better at writing the movie than the writers did. Essentially, was they kind of took the material and they're like, well, this is kind of what they were trying to say because of the Buddhist themes of like the Lotus and reincarnation and and reality and. And, but they just didn't execute it well. But I kind of, after immersing myself in the lore and the world of The Matrix, because I'm a big lore hound, 
I find watching the trilogy is much more enjoyable. As, as really, even that third one. The third oh one is God. to me. The third one is 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 just all shitty battle scenes. They're just one yes. shitty fight scene and Jesus imagery. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like, I'm not. I just don't. I just kind of skip through it to be honest. Like, Dude, and the the end of the second one is like possibly the worst version of over explanation. Yes. that has ever well, been. The Matrix in a, in a suffers film. from the most like. I think the Matrix is probably the biggest victim of like bad exposition, just in general. I think yeah. beyond like just the whole, even the first movie, like there's just not great exposition. It's usually ah. delivered very flatly. Well, I think the, I think in the yeah, but it works. It works for some reason. It works. That's second. The end of the second one is just like, I don't, I don't know how anyone thought that was a good idea. Yeah, well, <laughs> wasn't like there, were, like I believe Matrix was only supposed to be one movie, right? It wasn't well, it was be. a perfect movie. It didn't need those fucking sequels. I, I, I believe, but wasn't it supposed to be a single? Was, I don't. I don't believe that it was supposed to be in any way a like a huge epic like, a huge like that, epic like trilogy. I think it was supposed to be just like a single one-off sci-fi movie. Yeah, because nobody knew how big that was going to be. They, they, they were unknown. Well, that movie was lightning the bottle. You know, it's just like yeah, everything yeah. lined up perfectly. Like it just all of like. They had really great effects for the time, for the budget. Changed the world of cinema. Yeah, I mean, that movie yeah. like, revolutionized. Like, CGI was really took off after that. and Like, good CGI. Because, oh my yeah. god, the CGI in the second movie is so piss poor. It's embarrassing. <laughs> this The the Agent Smith, the scene. Yeah, the Agent Smith, Smith all scene. The, with all the Smiths. Oh, oh that's god, right. Yeah, it's so atrocious. bad. <laughs> I want to watch that scene. Do it. It's on YouTube. Watch that it's scene on YouTube. Again. You can. Oh, of course it, it is. is. It's I'll watch so it after disgusting this. how bad the, the and how bad the fucking CGI is. Like it, it's like a bunch of like rubber dolls flying around. When I was watching Alien Three, <laughs> some of the CGI in that from 1992 was like, oh man, <laughs> it's, it's probably better than this. It's probably better than the Matrix. Oh, I don't think so, man. Maybe. That's that's anyway. Blurg a blurg. Pig. Watch pig. Watch pig, everyone. Watch a Watch piggy. Pig. Uh Alex. Cook. Yeah, it's your choice next week. What are we watching? We're gonna be watching a movie called Falling Down. I guess I I don't know. I won't say anything about it other than that. I've always been very drawn to this movie because it's very LA southern california style like the way that it's shot the location obviously it takes place in los angeles and well that's good because we haven't seen a lot of movies lately that have la in them yeah yeah i mean directors we were up really in portland just, yeah directors don't really focus that much on that uh that part of yeah paul thomas anderson never uses la exactly right it's just I don't know. But this one is... This one... <laughs> fucking gave up on that so hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so done. Uh, all right, we'll, I couldn't we'll finish talk, that one. Wrap it we'll up, We'll talk folks. about it next week. We're all tired. It's time. It's t- the, the gods are signaling. It's oh time to wrap God. this one up. Oh. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We hope you enjoyed. Yep. Have a thank good you one. to my co-host. Thank you, Jeffrey Casino. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you, Alex Bear. Of course, of course. And you're both cunts, and we'll see you all next week. Now our podcast is done, and we have to run. 
We know it is sad, but we had so much fun. Don't be bereft, Jesse, Alex, and Jeff. We'll be back real soon. The real weirdos. We talk about movies for way too goddamn long. Boop, 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 boop.